Hey, this is Shannon K, and you're listening to Get Real. Hey, everyone, this is Shannon K, and welcome to Get Real. Joining us today is one of the champions of comedy, from co-starring with Steve Harvey on The Steve Harvey Show to doing voice work on some of the classic movie franchise, such as Ice Age and Madagascar. Landing his star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame, please welcome American actor, stand-up comedian, and game show host, Cedric the Entertainer. Hey, 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 what's happening? How are you? All is well, how you doing? I'm doing well. Thank you so much for being on the show. I'm really excited to be interviewing you. Yeah. I remember uh, having a meeting with you early on when you came out here to Hollywood. Our good friend Ken Braun uh, connected us, trying to make sure you got off to a good start in this crazy city. And uh, I'm glad to see you doing this right now. This is even, this is, this is shows the spirit of a hustler. That's what I like. Thank you so much. Well, speaking of a hustler, I wanted to, I was actually very curious to know how you got yourself started in, um, you know, with your career. I know that you, um, you know, majored from mass communication at uh, Southern Southwest uh, Missouri State University. Southeast. 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 Got it. Southeast. Um, mm-hmm. You know, so where did the thought of, you know, becoming a stand-up comedian come from? Like, was it, um, you know, a gradual discovery of yours or was it something that you always wanted to do? Oh, yeah. You know, I, I kind of came into the game in the early 80s. Uh, uh, well, I was in college at that time. I, you know, I was in college and in college, I studied mass communications. I had a, a radio show. Uh, where I would do uh, like a late night radio dude. I also, in the mass communication department, created a bunch of little TV shows, ended up doing some local commercials in the town where I went to college. So I always had this kind of spirit of an entertainer, not necessarily having a definition. Uh, my mother was uh, grew up in a single parent household and my mother was an educator. So she was a, a reading specialist. And so education, going to college, getting a degree, was really priority uh, in my in my household. It was just uh, my younger sister and myself and, and my mom's. And so, um, you know, I went to school and, you know, mainly just stayed on those, those goals for her. Uh, probably shortly after that, uh, I was working at State Farm and I was always a funny person. Like I, you know, I performed in groups. I was a singer first, you know, I used to, yeah, I used to be in groups and sing and, and, you know, that was my whole thing. I believed I was going to live my life as a singer. And, uh, but I was always funny. I always, always had this funny kind of personality. And one of the things I used to do when I warmed up is I used to imitate Luther Vandross doing the, his alphabets as a kid. It's, I did this whole thing about how he got a weight problem. And it was like, A, B, C, D, F, G. H I J K L M N O P. You know, it, it, it would keep going anyway. So it was it was fun. Like and that was um, that was one of the things I would do to warm up and be like, and so everybody like, oh, that's funny, man. You should. And so eventually, I was working uh, for State Farm, and a guy uh, that I know, another comedian, inter- introduced me to comedy and basically told me he thought I would, would be good at it. And he put my name down for a comedy competition. 
And the first time I ever did it, I won 500 bucks and that was it. I was off and running. Wow, that is a amazing story. I mean, I, I didn't know that you wanted to. So did you want it to become a singer? Or was it like just sort of? <laughs> well, you know, that was the thing that you recognize. The thing like back then, uh, you know, comedy was rare, you know, especially famous comedians. It didn't feel as common as it does today, like where we know so many of them and can identify with it as a path that one could lead. Back then, it was Richard Pryor and Eddie Murphy and everybody was superstars, especially if they were black, you know, mm -hmm. all the people you saw, they were superstars, which made you, you know, coming from the Midwest, coming from St. Louis, uh, made it feel like it was even that further away. It felt, you know, like way beyond, like you gotta be in Hollywood, you gotta be in New York. There's no way you can be famous being from St. Louis. So uh, it was just one of those things that, you know, it just wasn't in your head. And then the world of stand-up started to grow. Um, little shows started to pop up, opportunities for people uh, where, you know, it became a need for these other voices to be out there. And, uh, you know, then it became a very kind of, um, became, it became very hot to be a comedian. And then it became even super hot to be an urban comedian once Deaf Comedy Jam and shows like that hit the airways. Uh, so I was just in the right place at the right time, I feel, in a lot of ways, but prepared to do the job. Like I did work hard at being funny and that the guy that I, you know, introduced me, he was, uh, he was the kind of person that showed me how to do it right, you know, so that was good. Mm -hmm. Totally. And I wanted yeah. to actually, um, yeah, I mean, there were some of the things that you did mention about like comedy not being such a, um, you know, big thing back then. So how was it for you to like, you know, um, make your way into into comedy and also like breaking into the industry, knowing that back then I'm sure um, people weren't um, open about like diversity and, you know, people of color. So how was that for you? And also because you chose a genre of comedy, which wasn't taken seriously, you know, people back then assumed, or even now, I think sometimes people do assume that, you know, comedy is not that big of a deal or it's not that hard to do, but in reality, it's like the hardest genre ever. Um, yeah. you know, it, it doesn't matter whether you have like a natural sense of humor or not. It's like, there's some techniques, you know, with like the timing and everything that you have to have it right. So, you know, what was that like for you? Well, I mean, you know, of course it was, it's one, you, one, like I say, I'm fighting, I'm fighting what I feel is an uphill battle because I'm in the middle of the country. So you're just really going to, in a way, like a hobby. You're treating it like a hobby. You don't believe it's going to lead you somewhere. You're just going like, oh, I went up and I did well. I made people laugh. I'm just going to try to do that locally whenever I can, just, you know, for the sake of me feeling good. I didn't necessarily have the aspirations or even the believability that it would make take me you know, to the life that I've come to live, right? And so at that time, I didn't, I definitely didn't individualize it as such. Uh, but, you know, it, it was it was tough because the rooms that we performed in were mainly predominantly all white comedy rooms with all white comedy managers. They had a, they had a way of, of, um, of wanting you to uh, perform, you know, it was the, the, the kind of quintessential setup joke punchline thing while you know in 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 like african-american 
we told more stories. Our jokes didn't necessarily come with this, like, hey, two guys walk into a bar and blah, 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 joke, right? We tell you the story about our uncle or our cousin and then boom, 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 and then it's funny. You're like, oh, that's hilarious. And so, you know, you have that kind of thing early on where the, the, the business made you conform to a style, otherwise you weren't considered a professional. Mm -hmm. uh, so uh, luckily for me early on in my career, um, like I say, the, the, the black comedy started to pop off and it was other nights and it was places where I can go and places where I can go and be myself. And yet knowing that I wanted to kind of climb the corporate ladder, uh, I went and played, I mean, I, I, I went and did the white clubs just to get, again, a degree of professionalism, which I believe it gave me. So I, I like the balance. I don't, I don't consider that a negative thing. I think there was a balance that I had to learn how to be a pro in that environment. And then that allowed me to be uh, sustain what I consider a long career. So. Mm -hmm, absolutely. And I mean, you know, stand-up comedy, it sure sounds very hard. I try, you know, I'm a, I'm a singer. So whenever I'm performing, I'm, I'm get told to be like funny on stage, you know, come up with like some really cool interact with your audience and stuff. And I feel, I find that like the hardest thing ever, you know, yeah. like crack a joke or, or be like, spontaneous you know on the spot and and i'm like you know just give me the mic and i'll sing for three hours but do not ask me to joke like <laughs> i can't do that so how you know and and you're you're such a pro at it so you know was there a time where you also had to kind of like learn and sort of adapt the the environment and and see like you know what kind of audience you have and then based on that sort of you know interact with them and how was like the whole writing process for you as well like you know making jokes and, and trying not to like, were you, you know, did you feel like pressured every time you were on stage or did you feel like, you know, you have to make sure that you don't offend anyone or was it just be you and, you know, go out there and, you know, smash it? Well, I have, you know, I, I feel like I, I probably had, you know, uh, a uniqueer kind of introduction in the company and the fact that I told you like throughout college, I used to sing, and be in groups. So I had this, uh, you know, a not, not a fear of being in front of the audience and walking up. I also uh, minored in theater in college as well. So I did a lot of kind of knowing how to work the stage, knowing where to kind of like deliver things or, or, you know, put an inflection on something because you want to get this word out. You learn that from theater. And so I had like tools. And then I would say, because my mother was an educator. I also, you know, I had this really balanced. I used to live in a small little country town, like a small town. Then we moved to St. Louis, which a more urban air uh, environment. While my mom was in in college, finished finishing her master's, I stayed with my cousins in a in a you know in a hood in a, in a real hood. And then my mom took us out to the suburbs. So by the time you know, and then I went to college and I had a degree. So when I when I by the time I started doing comedy, I just really allowed myself to loop, use every tool that I had. And so I felt like my comedy kind of, I had a joke for everybody in the room because, because I was uh, raised in a single parent household with women, I was respectful to women. So I didn't use derogatory language on stage. Uh, but then I also knew some hood stuff. So I would have this kind of ghetto 
energy that worked, but then I knew, you know, big words and, and could speak properly. And then I knew the environment at a, at an office. So I can tell like jokes about people going to work and what they, what they feel like and what they experience. And so I, I felt like I had a bigger advantage when I went on stage and I just used to go out and have fun. I could sing. So I would sing and do like jokes about songs and, you know, and buy me some time, but you're right in the sense that comedy is the only place, like I said, with a, with a, with, as a singer, if you messed up, you got background singers, you got the drums, you got a guitar solo, you can be like, hey man, just, hey, hey, drummer, give me some, you know, you like, let me get my stuff together, like I'm not sounding good, but as a comedian, it's you, the microphone, and the audience, and their subjective opinion of your sense of humor, so you, you don't necessarily kill in every audience, even me, is you know I had some very you know rough nights early on because you know I went out and was successful so right right away that I thought that's how it goes and then you run into a night where people just don't get your sense of humor they don't want that and so you know that those are tough nights those are the night those nights where you have to grow up as a performer and learn okay what is it to grab an audience keep them on your side. Um, know when you're lo when you've lost them and just be honest like i lost them i gotta i gotta figure out how to get out of this thing gracefully without you know without blowing my money right like i, I know i'm supposed to be up here for you know 45 minutes to an hour but they they hate me 15 minutes in i gotta figure something out so you know those kind of things happen and that's that's the big part of the business so i always tell it to any young performer is that you will have ups and downs and you should have those nights when it doesn't go well, but they only build the callus up and the muscles around your ability to be able to do it in the long run. Mm, totally, that's an amazing advice. I will definitely take that to note for myself. <laughs> um, and so, you know, you, you talked about, we talked about stand-up comedy, but you also moved into like TV shows and movies and such. And, um, you know, I, I read somewhere that you had spoken about, like, you know, the freedom that you kind of get, um, you know, when you're like doing stand up comedy in and and like, you know, when, as if when you are like in character, um, you know, yeah. you get stuck to to the character and like to the script. And so you don't get to make um, much changes, but still, because of your amazing comedy, you still get to like ace that character and everything. So, you know, is that inspiration, um, you know, does that come from like the comedy? Like you just said, you've been, you know, in so many different environments and places. So when you work on your character, do you, um, you know, do you make it, do you make the character like similar to yourself or do you like, you know, base it on uh, someone that you've sort of observed or seen in your life? So how- Yeah, I do a little bit of, I do a little bit of both. Mainly though is, you know, my, my comedy, I, early on, I would imitate a lot of people, not the, like, not celebrities, but, you know, uncles, relatives, people that I grew up with. And so I definitely learned to do that when I do characters. I like to try to think of who I believe this character is, right? And if it's somebody real in my life, I would like to go, okay, right. This guy, when I'm reading this character, it reminds me of, you know, 
um, you know, the guy that used to work with my mother and he was always, you know, kind of like stubborn and boom, boom. And I would just kind of take elements of that personality and then put my truth into it. And then that's how I develop a character uh, most of the time. So, um, you know, I think, I think that I kind of try to internalize who this person would be uh, and then what would be my version of that person. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, you know, and I think that's really, the, you know, kind of the best way when you look at the opportunities you get as an actor, because, you know, you want to be able to be consistent and solid on screen and have people believe you are that character and not necessarily yourself, right? I mean, at the same time, you want the recognition of people knowing it's you, yet at the same time, you love the, we all do, we all love when we see someone morph into something that I just believe like they are that person. And I'm like, that's crazy. And so that's the skill set that I, you know, that I try to take in as an actor. I, I got lucky again, being able to learn that on a, on a sitcom where the Steve Harvey show, where I got to be a version of myself, of my actual self, yet a heightened version of that person. So I was able to have fun and not necessarily have to stretch in order to deliver this this character. And I I think that made me a lot more comfortable by the time I started doing movies. I trust the ability of going, all right, now I wanna dive off the page. Now I wanna do this a little bit more. So like in the movie Barbershop, I intentionally asked, asked the producers to play the old man because it was an old man, uh, several old men in my life that I knew who this guy was. I was like, look, I can do this guy blindfolded. And, and I went into audition and they were like dying. And, and he was the kind of character that I didn't even need words for. You could just put me in a situation and I can be Eddie. Like, you know, you don't even write it. Don't even do it. It'll just come out of me. Yeah. I'll be that old man. And once I'm locked in, that's what I'll do. And they were like, whoa. And it was funny. And I was able to improv a lot to your point. Uh, you know, they trusted me and it allowed me to not have to be on the script all the time. I could literally improv things and they were just like, oh, we're keeping that. That's gold. That's that's hilarious. You know, so um, and that that was that that felt like a blessing you know, to be able to deliver something like that. Absolutely. I love that. I think, um, you know, a lot of times when we think about improv, we we start to feel, um, you know, very, um, I guess, a little scared and frightened because we don't know how that would end up. But I absolutely love it because, you know, um, you not just improv but like you 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 get inspired by like the people around you and then you create those characters which is why they're so different from like you know all the all the things that you've done like we can definitely you know identify each character because you make it so um versatile you know and and that's just like amazing about you so which character of yours do you think is your favorite um that you've done so far or whichever one you've like enjoyed doing the most uh, probably by far is the old man in the barbershop movies. I love that character. He was just so free. So, you know, so I, it, again, like you say, it was a character that I could do without having words in front of me. I didn't need a script. If, if you, you set me up and tell me what the scene is, 
then I could do, I could just make that guy up. I would just be him. Uh, then there was, uh, uh, I love this character in this movie, Be Cool. I played uh, Sin LaSalle with, uh, with in, uh, the Be Cool with John Travolta and The Rock. Uh, very fun character because he was a, he was a very a character I felt like that was this dichotomy. He was mm. the hood, but he also went to Wharton. So he was like a businessman, but he was also a gangster. And I just love that because those, again, were people that I grew up with that I would be like, yo, man, this guy is brilliant, but he, you know, he grew up in this environment. So he has this really kind of edgy street mentality. But if you sat and talked to him, you would be like, yo, this dude can run any corporation in the world. So uh, I thought that that was a, a really great character to put on the screen. So uh, one of my favorites as well. That is awesome. I feel like, you know, my favorite are like all the characters that you've played so far. I'm so sort of like obsessed. I've just been watching all your movies and shows and I'm like, oh my God, like, how are you able to do that? Uh, <laughs> it's just amazing. You, you're a true inspiration, you. especially for people who are trying to get into comedy. Um, and, and speaking of that, you know, we're, I feel like we're in the generation of digital um, world. So what are your thoughts on, um, you know, about like the industry itself, like now that we're accepting, you know, people of diversity and also giving, um, you know, African Americans a platform to to showcase their culture to talk about their stories. Um, do you see a difference from, you know, what it was back then to how it is now? Or do you think that we still need to keep pushing and, and spreading awareness about that? Well, there's definitely been some growth. You can't deny that. There's so many, you know, great uh, creators out there that's doing a lot of really cool, cool stuff, and uh, both uh, male and female uh, writers, directors, producers, uh, you know, being able to bring content. Yet, you know, I still feel that when it comes down to the actual provider, when it comes down to the platform itself, where we get to put on, it's still a lot of white faces uh, and executives in those rooms that are, and the power sources, right? So, you know, if you wanna get something on CBS or you know, Netflix or, or HBO, pretty much that room's gonna be all white, regardless, you know, know what, and they can, they can decide on, you know, how much diversity that they wanna have on their network but it's still their decision. It's not one where we're in ultimate and total control of what we put on. There are some, you know, platforms, you know, be it BET or a few other ones where, you know, they're kind of dedicated to culture or whatever. But, you know, uh, you know, conceptually, it's 15 million other ones that still don't have that. That's those people in the room. And when it comes to movies, when it comes to really like identifying what is a authentic story, you know, uh, that's tough. I mean, I mean, uh, you're Indian, right? Are you Indian? And, and I mean, you think you we think about the idea of Bollywood, right? The, the idea of being able to have a cultural uh, identity where you can put out movies and people get it right mm -hmm. now. If that same movie tried to come to Hollywood it would be no one here, you know, automatically that would get this movie. And you, it would have to be sold, it would have to be coerced and people would have to advise them and tell them like, this is a good movie. And they are like, ah, because the room is not filled with people uh, like spirit. So I think that's still an issue. 
in Hollywood all around and one that we, um, you know, will continue to fight and have to fight and, and rightfully so. Just, uh, it's just going to be, you know, the case where, um, you know, where that, that, that diversity is common and necessary and people accept it and want it. And so, and everybody wants it for themselves and because, you know, we've come to know and meet people and like them and you go like, yo, yeah, I know Shannon. I like her. I would, I would want to see her in a movie and I would get that. And I don't feel that that's weird. Right. I don't have to explain it. I just, I like the idea that she's this talented force and yeah, put her on the screen. Let's go. Mm -hmm. Totally. Yeah. And um, you know, you've been in the industry for so such a long time. And like you just said right now, most of the production team, um, has like you know Caucasian people so when they think about like diversity or person of color do you think that they sort of you know keep it stereotypical and stereotype um, you know certain races and only give them those type of characters or do you do you think that you know they can they kind of like spread their um, you know minds and, and be a little bit versatile and open in terms of like giving um, you know, characters that are different from um, who they are so that, because at the end of the day, we are actors, you know, so yeah. we should be able to play all sort of things, but sometimes that backfires. So, um, yeah. you know, what are your thoughts on that? Well, I mean, you know, it's it's been one of those things that again, is a constant fight, right? You can always kind of look at many different areas of like, is this person, uh, you know, the character of this role is a, you know, 20 something white girl who blah, blah, blah. Does she have to be white? Like, that's the, that's the question, right? Does she, does she have to be white in order to, what else about this character is defined by her color other than the fact that that's what they want on screen, right? Because if she's just like, you know, an atypical 20 or something lost trying to find her way, been dating, fell out of love, had a relationship. She could be anybody. Then, I mean, literally those things are common. And those are the things that you really want to be able to kind of find uh, out in casting and hopefully, you know, allow, again, the scope of who can audition for a role, who can come in, how I cast this role. You know, we, we understand that most of these roles are really cast around the economics. It's all about who can draw eyes to the box office and not necessarily uh, who, who can, who's the best for the job. And so, um, you know, those are the things that we got again to continue to fight up because it's hard to fight in a, in a business where things are becoming more and more expensive to do. It's hard to, it's hard to argue with when someone tells you, I just can't get my money back if I do this. Like I, I would love to do this, but like on a global way, it's, it's not transferring, right? And now I gotta go out and prove the analytics, which is, you know, something that a group of people that, you know, I've been working with is, we're going out to really identify the numbers mm -hmm. so that again, you know, we're not hearing those same arguments that somehow uh, my blackness doesn't transfer around the world. Uh, uh, because that's something that Hollywood will be quick to tell you, mm. you know, like you guys, you know, you know, if it's black, it won't, you know, I won't be able to sell it in Europe and I won't be able to do it, you know, in these countries. And that's how, you know, I make my money back. And so you recognize like, oh, okay, 
I need to I need to be able to fight that argument by understanding what the re real economics is. And so, um, you know, those are the kind of things that I feel like where we have to be able to prepare our arguments and not necessarily uh, just be mad about them. Like, but hey, here's the here's the rebuttal to that, and then here's a way that I feel like makes sense for you to try to you know, think about looking at this movie differently. Mm -hmm. Totally, yeah. I think it's, you know, from both ways, I think, you know, the casting directors or like, you know, the producers have to kind of give us the liberty of, of you know, being whoever we want to be and be able to play those sort of characters. But at the same time, um, you know, what, what do you think, what are some of the advices and tips that you would like to give out to the aspiring actors um, who are trying to break into, um, you know, Hollywood or just, you know, break into the genre of comedy? Oh, well, I mean, one, you just got to have a great de desire and believability in your, uh, yourself and in the, the talent that you have and um, your efforts to, to, to deliver it. I think that, you know, this is a town, especially in Hollywood, where so many people come to make it you have to have really a strong will and a strong focus. You have to have a tough skin, you know, do not, do not allow one no, two no's, three no's, hell for that matter, 20 no's to tell you you're no good. Like you have to push through and, and, and believe and do the hard work and, 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 and know that your creativity is something that your uniqueness is something that you also have to lean toward. People will tell you, oh, then, you know, we don't like your hair like this. And we don't think that you can do that. But, you know, you've recognized and seen, you know, so many examples of people just being oddly different that do and make it in the world that you must trust that. You must trust that your unique DNA is the thing that's really going to make you uh, work now you know hearing sound advice and hearing things that make sense to you that you can take as cool uh you know productive constructive criticism all right be be willing to take a note right i will say that always be willing to at least take a note but you know don't don't let someone on the outside of you tell you what it is that you need to be um you know it's always some people coach and some people do, and you know, and it's not saying that we don't need a good coach at times, but you know, when you're out there doing it, get down and go to deliver, go to be a professional. When you show up at any job, especially once you get any taste of fame, I always tell this to people who get a little hint of celebrity, a little bit of, don't believe that hype, you know what I mean? Always go to do the work, period no matter how big you are. I learned that from somebody like Denzel Washington, I believe told me this. He treats every movie, every play like a job. Like he goes there to be, uh, to make his employer happy, which is the audience, right? He's, he goes on there to make sure that his employer, which is the audience, is happy with his work. And so I was like, that's, you know, that, that, that's the way you do it. You can't go in believing, oh, I'm already somebody. I'm a big deal. Everybody loves what I do. Here, take this. Take this little piece of show I'm going to give you and be happy about it, right? Mm -hmm. So 
that's the one thing is that that internal love that you have for whatever it is you do now try to keep that light for yourself try to you know uh own that hone that light build it and grow it and love that and embrace that and that'll that'll get you to wake up every morning and go for it on the good days and the bad I love that. You really inspired me so much. Thank you for that. You know, there's so there's sometimes days where you do feel down, um, you know, whether it is like other people demeaning you or whether it's just you starting to like, you know, a, a lot of people that I've seen, especially in this um, generation, you know, they get a little bit of fame and then they just go all out and crazy and stuff. And, um, you know, you find out that they're nowhere. So, uh, you know, I, I love that you just shared this thing and it's very important. And I think this is why, you know, you were able to um, achieve so much and you, you're still, you know, running and you're still doing your shows and things because you yeah. do every single opportunity, like it's, it's a job rather than, you know, forcing people to just take whatever is it that you have and just be like, deal with it, you know? Right. So it's, it's truly so amazing to talk to you and such an inspiration. And I'm so glad that, you know, there are people like yourself who not just, you know, give advice, but are so sweet. And, um, you know, and I just like always a believer in, um, you know, helping and supporting, uh, aspiring and young uh, talented people uh, like myself to be in this, you know, industry, because it is very hard and challenging to break into it. Yeah, I think so. And I'm, you know, like I said, and it's always those little things, just the thing that you you know how to pivot, you know how to, you know how to be creative. And like I said, I was really happy to see you doing this. Like this was, this was unique to see you just, you know, all right, cool. I'm not, you know, the pandemic happened, life was slowed down. Am I just going to cry about it? Or I'm just going to say, hey, man, let's do this. Like, let's switch it. And, and, you know, I think that that spirit, again, you'll look up and it'll be a part of the greater story and it'll also be a part of the muscles that you have that you end up taking on stage and you tell a funny story about the day. You talk, you'd be like, oh, I hate doing jokes, but the day, and then it'll be like, oh, that's such a great story. And that's all you gotta do. It's not even like, oh, I gotta deliver a joke. I just gotta trust and be in the moment and give you something honest and it'll feel funny because it will be. And then that's when, that's when people are like really identify with you. It's a hard thing to do. Don't get me wrong. I always say, you know, like even me, I went on stage uh, last week for the first time in over a year. Crazy. Wow. <laughs> like, and my first show, I had like four uh, brain freezes, like literally just could not, figure out where I was, like did not know what was going on. And, but I was honest about it and the crowd loved it. The crowd just was like, it was like, it's cool, man. It's all good, said. I was like, yeah, is it though? Like, so, you know, so, but, and then, you know, that would lead me to something. And I was like, all right, cool. Let me start talking about this for a little bit. Oh, yeah, hey, boom, didn't tell a joke, freeze. It got so, it got to one point, the audience started yelling jokes for me to do. I was like, all right, cool. Yeah, let's just make it a request show. Like, start giving me my old jokes and I'm just going to do them. And that was funny. And we had a great time. And, you know, and they stood up at the end and everybody was like, that was awesome. And I was like, cool, bet. Because, but I could have been, 
I could have been so down on myself because, you know, I'm used to being this king of comedy, this person that goes out and everybody knows me for being so funny. And I could have been really down on myself for not being prepared. Mm. And I thought I was prepared, but again, you can't just stop and start. If you went up and sang without warming up, without practicing with the band, without, you know, getting a sound check and knowing what the room is like, things could go wrong. And if you treated it as, as such, it's nothing you could do about it at the moment you're on stage, but either try to figure out how to muscle through or complain and quit and blame people and be, you know, and have a tantrum. Nobody cares. Mm. They, they only came to see you in the first place. So settle down, pull the mics back a little bit, blow the drums. All right, everybody quiet it down a little bit. I'm gonna try this. We're gonna sing it with less music and cause I just can't, I can't, I can't hear the songs right now. I didn't practice with these guys. I'm gonna be honest with you guys. I got in late, I didn't practice. We didn't have a chance to do a rehearsal, but I'm loving being up here. You guys are giving me beautiful energy. Can I try something like, boom? yeah, just take control. Don't worry about it. I always say this to an audience has no idea what you're gonna give them. We, as the performer, often have a great anxiety that they know what they want. We think, oh my God, they're gonna expect me to blow the roof off there. They have no idea. They have no idea. You gotta remember, you're the one with the microphone. So just control it. It's a hard thing to do, it's a hard thing to say, but it's a very smart way to try to be when, you're, when you feel like your anxiety is getting in control of you. Just know you're the one in charge. So just take your time, take a breath, take a drink of water, pause, tell them you're gonna pause. There's nothing they can do. There's nothing they can do, but just rock with you. Now you don't wanna be disrespectful. You're like, you don't wanna get to the point where you're like, oh, I'm not even singing or whatever, you know. You know, you wanna get there, but you know, we've seen great performers that we love just be like on stage, just telling a 25 minute story. They won't even worry about singing. They like, look, I'm buying me some time because obviously something's going on where I'm not feeling the moment. So they might tell a whole story about their childhood and just take their time. And if you if you do it right and then lead into a song, it's gonna feel even more special. And people have no idea that you forgot your playlist. They don't know because <laughs> they don't know what the playlist is. So they have no idea. It's just you just like, look, you know, I'm all off track here. Let me just settle it down. So just try to remember those little tools. I sure will. Thank you so much. That was actually so good of an advice. I mean, I, you know, I was like, okay, next time I'm just gonna like take control of everything, you yes. know, take a breath, just, you know, the audience have no idea what I'm about to do. So it's all good. <laughs> you, yeah, you you thinking, oh man, I gotta, I gotta keep it going. I gotta take a it's all right. Take a moment. <laughs> Well, all right, we're on to our little game segment here. So I have a bunch of questions for you and you have to answer as fast as you can. Are you ready? Oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> all right, here we go. One thing which you always wanted to do but haven't done. Oh, do an album. Really? Yeah. Okay, I got you. 
we're gonna collab. <laughs> All right. On what occasion do you lie? Uh, when I'm when I'm drunk. <laughs> okay, I think I, I thought it was like you know you speak the truth when you're drunk, but that's that's interesting. <laughs> All right, which talent would you most like to have? Oh man, I'd like to be an athlete, like a really like to be able to dunk a basketball. Oh, same. <laughs> I love sports, but I'm like I'm terrible at it. It's just so sad. <laughs> yeah, yeah. All right, what is one of your weirdest habits? Oh my God, uh, weird habit. Uh, I still like to lay my clothes out on the bed before I get dressed. So I lay them out and then look at them and kind of switch like a mannequin, but while looking at them. So I still do that. You know what? I do do that sometimes. It's just easier, you know, for me yeah. to like visually see like, okay, this goes with that, that goes yeah. with that. But I feel like it might be weird. But then again, it's fine. <laughs> Hey, it's <laughs> All right, tell us one thing people don't know about you. Uh, one thing that I think that people don't know about me is uh, I like to change my hairstyle a lot. You know, people probably don't know that because I look the same, but I, I'm willing to try anything with my hair. Now I don't have as much hair as I used to, but I'll color it. I'll braid it out but i but most of the time people see me look the same and they don't think that i do that so i think that that would be surprising when when people do see me like yo dog, you got braids like, yeah. <laughs> that's so cool i'll be on a lookout on that next time i'll be like huh what did you change this time <laughs> yeah <laughs> all right um one last one embarrassing moment from your life uh probably the most embarrassing moment was performing on stage in um, South Carolina. I was doing a, a joke about uh, a dude running for a school bus and I slipped and fell on stage and I had on all black. And when I stood up, my whole, the stage was dusty. So my whole right side of my body just had like dust all on it. Cause I was wearing the all black and you could see it. And so it just took like two minutes for me to wipe it off. It was funny, but it was, but it was embarrassing. Like people still say that to me whenever I go to South Carolina. It's like, oh, you remember when you fell on stage? I'm like, yeah, yeah, that's hilarious. Oh my gosh. Don't you just love those people who always remind you of the- Yeah, they, yeah, that's great, man. Yeah, like, exactly. Thanks for the reminder. <laughs> yeah, exactly, so great. <laughs> all right, well, that's all I had for you. Thank you so much for being on the show. I had so much fun talking to you, honestly. I was- you know, I was a little nervous because you're such a legend and you're a champion of comedy and I am terrible at it. So I was just like, how am I going to manage this? But you've been such a sport. Thank you so much. I got to learn so much from you. You know, I, I loved playing this game segment, got to, you know, got to know you even more. And I'm really excited for all your future projects. And I cannot wait to meet you again. And yeah. All right. Well, the same here. I'm really proud of you. Keep going. Keep rocking. Uh, this was a lot of fun. I enjoyed it. So uh, thank you so much. All right. Thank you. Very good. Mm -hmm.